Hey guys, Megan here. Two things before we start. One, when Milan and I were recording, on my end, I was actually recording from the wrong mic. So, my audio today, not the best, but stick with us. It's worth it. We've got 1,400 political memes and maybe some sacrificial sheep livers, but that's more towards the end. And two, today's episode is the second to last of the season. So in two weeks, we will have the last episode of season two, and then we go on winter break until January. So we'll be back then, but for now, we've got our special election episode. Yeah. Are you crying inside? Because I am. Oh, this is terrible. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to another episode of My Favorite Feminist. My name is Megan, and I'm here with my co-host, Milana. Hey, guys. You're listening to the bi-weekly podcast that explores feminist figures in the arts and sciences. Wait, what are we learning about today? Stuff. Feminism. <laughs> you should, I should have seen how she just rolled her eyes at me, like, so hard. <laughs> like, really, really, bitch. We co-host a feminist podcast together. Feminist is in the podcast name. <laughs> we are learning about allegorical figures in the arts well really just one one allegorical figure one feminine reoccurring allegorical figure in the fine arts okay so we're learning about that and the woman behind bluetooth that's an actress right yep okay all right i don't remember the woman's name i know in passing about her and when you said earlier that it was not a happy ending yeah yeah you're right okay cool (laughs) it was No fun. So you do know her story, most of it? Only in passing. It's a a doozy. And you know what? I think, I don't know why this turned out to be, but she was, even though she wasn't technically American, she was a patriotic woman. So I guess this is probably the best time for that. Oh my God, our podcast is coming out on election day. Yeah, we, wait, like today's episode is like a Schrodinger's cat. Yeah. So we, we're recording on Halloween Eve, releasing it on election week. And like, are the results going to be in? Like, are we going to be like, oh, thank goodness. Okay, back to work. Or is it going to be like, oh, Jesus, how could this happen again? Oh, no. Existential yeah, like, crisis. Which way is it going to go? Oh, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm emotional. Yeah. But yeah, politically, in terms of this election week, things could go either way. Please vote if you haven't. Wait, no, no. No, no. No, <laughs> no we're done. That was last episode. So on my end today, just with the election and everything, I'm kind of taking an examination of just what justice means in this country. Mm. But before we get to that, it sounds like we've got a case of injustice on your scientist's part. Yeah, no, it was not, it was not great at all. So yeah, today we're going to talk about an inventor. She had zero engineering training and did not go to a university and there was no Nobel Prize. Like many of the women I have covered, she was not recognized for her inventive mind, right? However, like none of the women I have covered, she was known for her beauty, marriages, and scandal as a prolific actress in 1930s Hollywood instead. A little bit of a twist. Yeah. You know what? That would have been a good... um person to do with the last episode yeah i was thinking about that i didn't know you were doing a like a actress or like a 
a movie, like a Hollywood person, last episode. We mm. should probably plan these things, but it just, it never, I don't know. <laughs> you know what? After two seasons, you just can't be bothered. It's just it whatever. It happens. Yeah, you guys keep coming back. You keep listening. Really, it's you guys. You are enablers. <laughs> Stop it. Megan, you're not helping. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. So, yeah, we're talking about Hedy Lamarr. Uh, have you ever seen any of her movies? I don't think so, but it sounds like she was probably really big. Yeah, she was really big. I actually haven't seen any of her movies either, but now I need to. Uh, because there was, like, I don't know if you remember that one, like, stretch of time where I was, like, watching all of the Marilyn Monroe movies. I don't know. I was just watching a bunch of, like, old Hollywood movies. And you were like, what the fuck are you watching? And I was like, I love it. It's so romantic. It's not romantic, but it's whatever. I mean, I, you got a Halloween costume out of it that year, so. I did. That's true, I did. Okay, so she was born Hedwig Eva Maria Kiesler. Kessler? I still don't know. On November 9th, 1924, in Vienna, Austria. Dad was a successful bank manager. Mom was a pianist. And though they were both raised Jewish, they had converted to Catholicism, or at least the mother did. And Hetty was raised Catholic, so they did not practice Judaism. But okay, and and what year was that again that she was born in? Nineteen twenty-four. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, they were still genetically Jewish in Austria in the nineteen twenties, rolling into the nineteen thirties. Yep. Yeah. She, although had a charmed childhood, she was treated to culture and society from an early age. Operas and opulence were no stranger to her. Um, from the beginning, she had the best education. She was also super close to dad. Um, not the best with mom. Mom wanted a boy named George and was pretty disappointed that she got a girl. But dad, dad was her best friend, her first love. <laughs> he basically saw that she was a very curious kid. So when they were walking down the street, he would point out trolleys and talk about how they moved, the way they were made, what kind of power made them go, how that power was created. And she loved it because, I mean, like when she was five, she took apart a music box and put it back together. I like it. Yeah. Like she was very curious. And like her looks were the last thing on anybody's mind until she hit puberty. Mm. So she didn't, again, it, it was bad. So. She would walk into rooms and people would just, like, stop and, like, notice her. And this newfound power for a teenage girl is a fucking head rush. Like, oh, oh, it burdened me so much. <laughs> did I did. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why I have a face for podcasting. <laughs> I can't unleash this on mortals. <laughs> we would break YouTube. <laughs> really best just to leave it but yeah no so her beauty took over her life in an interview in the 90s she had described herself in her early years as uh this is a french term enfant terrible like i'm really bad but i bleh bleh like a fucking vampire french term used to describe a person who is unconventional controversial and shocking so she loved being beautiful and she loved fucking with people gee that sounds like someone else i know Milena. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, Megan. The evils you unleash in high school. All right, okay, cool. cool. So, she, so she's she's owning it. Yeah. But she loved her beauty. Uh, she loved the power that it had over people. And when she was 16, she decided that this was going to – she was ready. She was going to take on this world. She was going to take this beauty and share it with them. So she found photographers that would take pictures of her naked. She – 
forged a permission slip to allow her to get a job at a film production company called Sasha Film, and she was cast mm-hmm. in several pictures. She was 16. It's a little problematic, but okay. Yeah. All right. Oh, oh yeah. I got, I got, I got worse. So uh, by age 18, she was cast as a lead in a movie called Ecstasy, and she played a neglected wife. There were scenes of her naked, like her swimming around, whatever. But one specific scene of her having an orgasm. Okay, so we would have been in the 1940s at this point. 1930s. So first female orgasm displayed on screen. She reported that she didn't know what was happening and they had stuck her with pins if she didn't like do what they wanted her to do. So she was like, why do I have to put my arms in front of my face? Why do I have to arch my back? And they were like, you're either going to do it or we're going to make you do it. Uh, yeah. I Okay. All right. And like in this, she was like in her suit. She was by herself in the room. They had edited the pieces together to make a really intense sex scene for the time, and it became an international movie, and there was, like, a huge black mark on her name because how dare a woman act like she's having an orgasm on screen? She's 18 and internationally hated. That's a lot to really jump into, or to rather be immersed in. And she wasn't even, like, in Hollywood yet. She was... Still in Vienna, like still in Austria. Okay, so at this point, historically, Hitler was banning art and really anything created by Jewish individuals. And he specifically banned it from being shown because she was Jewish. So he was like, this movie cannot be made. It cannot be shared. It cannot be shown. Like, it is not allowed in Austria. Yeah, yeah. But that didn't stop a lot of people from, like, wanting to be with her. Because now she was not just an object, but she was a sexual object, right? And a risky one, too. I know. Yeah. So she was beautiful and controversial, and everyone wanted a piece of her. Everyone, including a man named Friedrich Mandel. Friedrich Mandel? Fucking, I'm so bad at Germanic languages. Friedrich, age 33 to her 19, was like the Austrian Henry Ford. Except, instead of cars, it was arms and munitions. And he also worked mostly for Mussolini and Hitler. Um, okay. Yep. Yeah, your your segment has a lot more drama than mine will. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> I, like, I mean, ooh, ooh, I'm okay. <clears throat> they married in 1933. They had a home with 25 guest rooms, their own hunting spaces. She had... Everything except, you know, freedom. So, okay. Let me explain. She was kept far away from his business, although she did pick up on some basics of applied science when he would bring some work home. But one reason she was kept away was because women shouldn't be around businesses like that. And also because her husband hated the way Ben looked at her. You're going to marry a pretty actress. I don't know what the fuck you wanted, dude, but here we are. <sighs> A tale as old as time. (laughs) He was super intimidated by her beauty and how people thought of her. He hated that she did the scene in ecstasy and even tried to buy up all the posters and paraphernalia for the movie. Oh, that is like a classic move. I know. I was reading this and I was like, holy shit. Well, actually, I was like, I actually watched Bombshell, which is a movie about her. And when I first learned that, I was like, holy, what, why? fucking why and of course because he's like continuously buying this shit up the manufacturers are like fuck yeah we got a demand it's the one guy who's like married to her and doesn't like this but he's gonna buy everything we make so he just kept making them keep it going i know 
And he was always worried that she was cheating on him, had to know when what she was doing at all times, like super controlling. <sighs> he had her phone calls listened to by maids and spies to keep an eye on her. <sighs> okay, all right. This is where things get, uh... <laughs> what, did she make like a secret escape? There were there was zero freedom involved, and she was like, I can't do this anymore. And one night during a party, she... <gasps> oh my god, there was! There was a secret escape. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she drugged a maid that looked like her with some tea, switched their clothes around so she was... This was after the maid fell asleep. Switched the clothes around so that she was wearing the ball gown and Hetty was wearing the maid outfit and rode off into the night on a bike wearing a coat lined with jewels that she had sewn into the coat. All right. Not not bad at all. No. Peace out. I feel like in this story, I'm the poor maid who wakes up very confused. <laughs> you just wake up and you're like, oh, fuck, I'm going to get fired for this. Oh, no. <laughs> I had nothing to do with this, but oh, damn it. Can't use them as a reference anymore. Oh, my God. I don't, like, when I heard that, I was like, wait, what? She did what? Oh, man. So where did she, like, ride off into the night to? What happened next? London. She wanted to act there. She's got some fucking killer quads. Okay. Yeah. Peace out. I'm going to London. Uh, yeah. So she biking found... the whole way. <laughs> so she ended up in London. Wanted to act there because she liked acting. Found herself in the same room as Louis B. Mayer. You know the man who owned MGM Pictures in Hollywood. Okay. No, I don't know him by name. Really, Louis yeah. B. Mayer? L. B. Mayer? You don't know that? Look, I know that I like minored in theater in community college, but like. I did not. You roomed with several theater majors. One. <laughs> and she was in lighting. Oh, okay, fine. Um, Fun fact, though, basically Hollywood had, like, several really big movie productions, like, companies, MGM being one of them, mm-hmm. and actors tended to have more freedom, but actresses were on contracts, paid not as much as they should have been. I mean, they were paid because they were actresses. They were Hollywood actresses, but completely overworked. Mm, They basically owned you, which we're going to get into a little bit later, but it was not fun. So it's in London where she meets the head of MGM. Yeah. I don't know. Was it a library? I don't even remember, but she meets him, right? And I guess he, what he wanted to do was he wanted to buy up a bunch of like European like actresses that were outcast from like Austria and stuff because of the war that was happening and he thought that he could pay mm-hmm. him like shit money for it and when he offered her $125 a week she was like I'm sorry that's not enough and then walked out <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but then at the same time she I guess like had a change of heart but she did want to go back and beg so what she did instead she booked the same boat he was taking back to the United States basically in the super modest deck Like, this little space, this cabin. Mm -hmm. And then during the entire trip would walk around the deck looking her best, making sure he saw her swimming, sun soaking, just this goddess on the boat. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Okay. All right. Hit up the dining hall in her best ball gown 
made sure to walk past him. By the time she walked into the dining hall, everybody just stopped and looked at her. And, like, Mm -hmm. that was it. She had them. Next thing she knows, she has a contract at MGM for $500 a week. Big difference. Yeah. You know, she just had to change her name because who can pronounce Kiesler? Yeah. Also, part of it is, like, if you were Jewish, people were less likely to be into you, I Oh, guess. there was discrimination. Yeah. Even, yeah, during yeah. that time. <laughs> so they were like, you need to, you need to let go of that. And she was like, okay, I'll let go of that. That's fine. I don't need that part of my life. So she was a hit. She was promoted as the world's most beautiful woman, literally. Like, that was her, that was her tagline. She was a fucking star. Cranked out movie after movie after movie. I think she did 30 movies mm-hmm. in 28 years. You know, you do that when you're an actress in the 1930s. You just keep going. She did four movies in 1940. Like, it was a lot. Okay. Other actresses started dyeing their hair to look like her. People fawned over her, asked her for her autograph. And, like, as an actress, she would have to wake up super early, take these pep pills, quote, that actresses were told to take to keep them going all day, and then go home after a long day's work. So, side note. Oh, my God. Is it is it like cocaine or heroin? These pep pills, they are a form of speed being peddled to their actresses as vitamin pills and pills ah. to keep their weight in check. Yep, because they needed to keep them going. They needed those long days. They were being overworked. So that was not an option if you were an actress at MGM. They were a requirement to take, and many of these women would leave MGM with a drug dependency problem because of it. So, like... God, I did not know that. Okay. Who did Dorothy from Wizard of Oz? Oh, my God. Judy Garland? I think she was also one. Yeah. There were so many women with with those dependency issues, and she was one of them. They're like, Dr. Feelgood. Have you ever heard of... Dr. Feelgood? Uh, no, I guess not. He would, like, shoot up his patients with things to make them feel good. Kennedy was one of his patients. Amongst other actors, like, actors, actresses, things like that. Yeah. Yep. Fucked up. When she went home after these long days of acting, she did not go to sleep. Not just because of the speed. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Jesus. That'll do it. (laughs) She wasn't dating or socializing. She was inventing. She had a full inventor's bench at home. And in between takes on the set, she would spend some time at a smaller inventor's table that her second husband had supplied for her. Uh, He was a screenwriter and producer. This marriage specifically was heartbreaking, though, because she had written to her mom about being absolutely in love and how amazing he was and... How he would share traits with dad and how, you know, it just was super awesome. And he was just a brilliant person and super smart. And then he left her after two years. Aw, yeah. that sucks. Basically that they had adopted a kid together. This kid was actually a son out of wedlock that she had with her third husband after she divorced her second husband. I don't know. Okay. Either way, there was a kid involved and okay. two husbands between 1939 and 1947. All right. But we're not here for that. We're not here for that. None of that. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, all of her actual efforts from the time she began MGM was towards inventing. She was very good friends with Howard Hughes, an aviation tycoon. So they they dated as well. I mean, she dated everyone. The woman had six husbands. It happens. We don't, again, not here for that. I mean, if you're going to do Hollywood, do it right. I know, right? But she and Howard Hughes, he was not one of her husbands, just like somebody that she dated. She also dated Kennedy, which is really weird. But yeah, no, she was dating this dude named Howard Hughes, an aviation tycoon. And they bonded over making things. He specifically made planes, and she made them faster. That's a super solid relationship to have. (laughs) 
So what happened was she was just like, why are these planes so slow? Like, they look super clunky. She bought a book on fish and a book on birds, and she just took the designs of the fastest birds and fish and applied them to an airplane design for him. Nice. You know, that's super straightforward and smart. Yeah, like, no big deal. That's the reason our airplanes are streamlined. Whatever. It's fine. Like, (laughs) but nobody knows that, right? Mm. Mm. Heartbreaking. She had, while they were dating, full access to his scientists. So whatever you can think, you let my scientists know and they'll help you do whatever you want, basically. What? Yeah. Like, whatever. You do what you need to do. And she did. So she improved on the traffic light. I'm not sure exactly how, but she did. Made a tablet that would dissolve into water to create a carbonated drink that was supposed to taste like Coca-Cola. Okay. That one was a disaster. She said it actually tasted more like Alka-Seltzer, but it basically still just started as an effort to make the lives of troops and blue-collar workers just a little bit easier. So she was Mm -hmm. always trying to do things that, like, would better things around her. She was always thinking of ways to do good in the world. And her biggest idea, and the most groundbreaking, was created for the war itself. So what, what period are we at? Are we still kind of, like, early 1940s? Late 1930s, early 1940s. So at this point, she's in her early 20s. She was basically hearing that torpedoes weren't hitting things. Well, just probably not what they were supposed to hit. And that's a little problematic. That's <laughs> I if you're think about a very that. surprised fish. Is that coming towards you? <laughs> oh, no. oh, no. Oh, man. No, because they were remote controlled, but their signals from the between the torpedo and the submarine were being jammed quite off, like often by Axis powers. Okay, this was bugging her. She had teamed up with a friend. This time, it was just a friend named George Antheo, and he was this super groundbreaking composer, badass in the music world. His book was actually called "The Bad Boy of Music." <laughs> okay, something along that nature. So she kept reaching out to him, calling him in the middle of the night, running ideas by him, just like, what about this? What about that? What about this? Like, what can we do here? And then she ran the idea of a remote-controlled submarines that frequency hopped every second or every couple of seconds so that it was unable to be hacked by Axis powers. Yeah, by, by someone trying to jam that frequency. Exactly. So for people okay. who don't really know how radio stations work, or just frequencies in general, so a radio station is at a certain frequency, and you won't hear it until you dial your radio to that frequency. And if someone wanted to interfere with it somehow, they would dial that same frequency, and the radio wouldn't know what to do. So this was the idea of, like, jamming it. And her idea was, what if the torpedo and the sub would hop together simultaneously so that they know what frequency they're going to next, but the enemy can't predict it? Okay. Mm -hmm. And she was like, look, the idea was mine, but George did all the important stuff, quotes. And she she had drawn diagrams of what was happening. Like, this was out of her brain onto paper. So she definitely deserves more credit than that. But she was very much like, I didn't do much. I just thought it up, whatever. And, like, later on, people thought that she had, like, stolen the idea from her first husband who did, like, ammunition stuff. Like, honestly, that was the case. If the Germans knew what frequency and hopping was, they would have used it against, like, they, they would have known what to do once it was implemented. Or implement it themselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but they didn't. There was no proof of that. So people okay. were, like, there was, like, a journalist in particular who was, like, I think she was an inventor, but I don't think it was of things, like... She was a plagiarizer of some sorts, if you know what I mean. Like, some bullshit. Like, I'm a man. There's no way she could have figured it out. Well, especially if she's good looking. Right? 
Like, you can't be beautiful and smart at the same time. There's literally a quote that says, you can't be Heidi Lamar and smart. God forbid, right? So, again, she had drawn out the diagrams, but he did, however, find a way to fully realize the idea using miniature piano players that were synced together. So he had done, like, a like a piece or something with 26 fucking pianos that played at the same time under the same, like, piano players. And he's like, well, why can't I just put one on a, like, tiny ones, one on a submarine and one in a torpedo and have them work together? Okay. Yeah, they got a patent for it in 1942, brought it to the Navy, donated it to them. And the Navy was like, fuck off, little lady. If you truly want to help war efforts, raise bonds for the Army just like every other actress. What? Oh, my goodness. Yep, that was that. Okay. She wasn't yet quite an American citizen, but she loved America and wanted to do what she could for the war efforts. So she started auctioning off kisses to strange men to raise money, like, was doing bingo nights, was doing everything she could. And then she raised, adjusted for inflation for today, about $350 million for the war efforts. That's a very pretty penny. Yeah. No, she was like, I'm going to do something. I'm going to fix something. So fine, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll use my looks. Fuck off. But this this personality she had, this fire, the inability to just be there and be beautiful as an actress or as a trophy wife to six different men. In six mm-hmm. different areas, by the way. There's one time she was in Texas, right? She oh, was okay. married in Texas. Why the fuck not? Like, the desire to do something more, be more than her face, was costing her. So people didn't like that she thought that she was willing to produce her own films, that she wanted to invent something. She was typecasted as a foreign woman, femme fatale, dangerous distraction to the leading men. Mm. And she was even forced to do a role of a seductive native girl. Big air quotes there. Jesus, okay. There's a a line that's, I am Tondeleo. Right? Basically distracted World War II soldiers who for some reason found themselves in Africa. Okay, all right. You can imagine what color she was on screen. Not her color. Yeah. No, ma'am. Yep. Yeah, but at the same time, you can't actually hire an actress of that color. No, of course not. That'd be crazy. So what are you to do? It looks really weird. If you see, like, footage, it looks... Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) Like, you shouldn't... No. But yeah, like, I mean, there was even, like, her peers were mocking her work. Mm-hmm. There was one scene in the, like, I, I don't know if it was her idea or not, but Lucille Ball, uh, there was one scene where she dressed up like Tondeleo and she tried to, like, get somebody's attention. She's like, and she did her, like, loose, like, Lucille Ball, panted, like, with the face, and Tondeleo, or some shit like that. And it was just, like, so mocking. And it, she was just a fucking joke. Mm. It was just a lot. I mean, even when she did a fucking comedy, because when you were an actress, you didn't do comedies. You did romance. Like, uh, yeah, that's what girls do. Yeah. yeah. And then she was taking those pep pills and injections, which led to erratic behavior, shoplifting. She had like $1,400 on her ass, but she shoplifted like 40 bucks worth of shit. Okay. All right. It, like there was a point where her daughter was like, I remember being in college and like seeing on the newspaper, like, my mother, like a picture of my mother in jail because she'd shoplifted $40 worth of shit. Like, this is crazy. Hollywood shoot her up, shout her up, told her that she was nothing more than a pretty face, and then spat her back out. And then they wanted her to be mentally stable afterwards, you know. Ugh. Yeah. When did she eventually walk away from acting? 
she was always like kind of when she was working on her book in the 60s she wanted to do an autobiography that never happened she wanted to tell her story but like the ghostwriters weren't making it happen and I don't know. She just kind of, like, faded, I think, in the 50s. Okay. Yeah. And then she just kind of, like, reclused and got all sorts of shit happening. And she kept doing surgery after surgery, plastic surgery, because all she was worth was her beauty. And then mm. while she was doing plastic surgery, she was revolutionizing that. So she was telling people, surgeons, where to put the scar, how to hide it properly. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And they're, like, surgeons were like, yeah, that's great. They still implement those tactics today which is crazy uh was was there any procedures in particular that stood out i i think there was one where like the scar went behind the ear because i think it was like a for a facelift or a a neck tuck yeah and her money was running out so she secluded herself from the world she finally said fuck it i don't want to do this anymore i don't want to be seen in person Mm -hmm. i don't want any of this but she did however want to know where her patent was if It wasn't being implemented. Like, could she have it back? Because that was the most important thing to her. Her intellectual property was the most important thing to her. Mm -hmm. And the Navy still had it because it was donated there. So turns out it was implemented. 1957 to develop the sono buoy. So that's just a quote from Wikipedia. Relatively small buoy. Typically 13 centimeters or 5 inches, expendable sonar system that is dropped or ejected from aircraft or ships conducting anti-submarine warfare underwater acoustic research. Okay. This was implemented before the expiration of the patent. And then it was also implemented in 1962. An updated version of the design was installed on Navy ships. She had not seen a cent. And it is known that if you give a patent to the military, yeah. you should be giving you, you should be getting compensation. She should have gotten money for what it was. Well, okay, I can see though if you're donating a design, it, that could be considered doing your American duty and right. not getting compensated for it. But it's in the contract when she donated it; it was in there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like they fucked up. Uh, they didn't tell her about it. Did she sue at all? No, because when her son asked her about it, this was later, she was like, I don't even care anymore. Okay. She was just beaten down. Yeah. You know? The the person who made the Sanobui actually wrote a formal letter called A Tribute to Hedy Lamar, which thanked her because without her efforts, it would not have existed. Mm-hmm. And in fact, her frequency hopping technology is the basis for our Wi-Fi, our Bluetooth, all of our cordless communication systems, all of that. Is her invention. The damn satellite that holds presidential nuclear codes works off of her shit. Oh my goodness. Ugh. Yep. Yes. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so, so, like, what happened in her later years then? They just continued to use it widely without really caring, but they did uh, eventually give her, like, an award late 90s because she passed away in 2000. But she refused to okay. go because she didn't want to be seen. Oh, well, I mean, I can get, like, snubbing them because... They're, they're a little bit late to the party in terms of giving her appreciation. But that's, yeah, that's a whole different kind of Yeah. Because she spent her entire life being told that her looks were the only thing in her. And by that time, she was, like, older and with a bunch of, like, botched plastic surgeries, like, later Aww. in life. And, like, she just didn't want to be in front of people. So her son was the one that accepted the award. And actually, <laughs> in the middle of the speech, she had called him and the phone okay. went off. The cell phone went off. <laughs> and he like, oh, look, it's mom. And like in, in the middle of the speech was like, hey, mom, how'd it go? It's still going. I'm in the middle of it. 
<laughs> would, would you like to say something? <laughs> I like it. He like he pulled out a tape and like the tape was like, "Thank you for finally recognizing, and I'm glad that I could do something for the country." Essentially, is what yeah. it was. Okay. And nice. it was just like, oh. she passed away in 2000, like heart problems, but mm-hmm. by herself. But still, what a time to live through to like be absolutely fundamental to the development of wireless technology. And to live through World War II and the Cold War and then, you know, age of the internet and the 80s. I know. And, like, the entire time she was just, like, homesick and she just wanted to be known more for more than what she was known for and respected Mm -hmm. for just a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And the world just crushed her. Yeah. I don't have anything to say either. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You said depressing and you meant it. I meant it. (laughs) Well... Even though she didn't really get proper recognition, she she did get acknowledgement. So at least there's that. She lived to see some aspect of it. Yeah, she wasn't ever petty. She was erratic. She had a lot going on. She was not stable, but she was never petty. I don't know. Like, I just, if somebody had, like, fucking listened to her, ugh, I don't know. But, I mean, now we can all say that we know Hedy Lamar and what she did, what she con- contributed to this nation, which is pretty solid. I love her. <laughs> She's so smart. So, like, she's so, like, sharp. She always made, like, really, like, like quick-witted, like, like quips. Just, like. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm imagining. <laughs> she was fierce. Nobody liked it. But anyway, was your lady fierce? In a sense. In a sense. Yes. Yeah. Mine is not as depressing as yours. Today, I'm doing something a little different that I thought was super fitting with the election and everything. So instead of doing a individual, I'm actually covering an allegorical figure. Oh. You know, I was, okay, I get it now. I gets it now. Lady Justice. Yes. That's who we're exploring today. So yes. I thought this was a super appropriate time to kind of dive into the art history of her. Because, I mean, this, okay, this, here in the States, this election, it's a mess. Senate Republicans chose to push through a Supreme Court nomination instead of, like, oh, I don't fucking know, a COVID relief package. And then, like, on theme with this year, and then really every year in America, we have had more fatal police shootings of black Americans just in the last week. Yep. In my city. Yeah. 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 Especially on your end in, in Philly with Walter Wallace Jr. Yep. So, like, right now, particularly, justice just seems a little fraught. This is a nation founded and built and profiting off of inequality so i thought today instead of covering another artist i would kind of give us the rundown on a reoccurring female figure in art lady justice yes you know her you love her toga scales sword blind blindfold yes found in courthouses all over the world it's like the saying goes that justice is blind and today we're going to learn that that was not always the case now, even back in the fourteen the fourteen hundreds, people were calling bullshit on that with memes. Oh, with memes, you say? Okay, well, all right, maybe not memes, but like woodcut illustrations, and they're like technically the memes of the fourteen hundreds. Uh, 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 tell me more. They are. They are. I'm gonna argue it. Damn it. Also, do I want to truly? It's fucking Halloween weekend, baby. I would give you one of mine if I could. I'll be back. Can you just oh. toss you a mango one through, through the screen? <laughs> I just That's tried to get I out of you. here. I am so fucking sore. 
Yeah. Good, good aerial classes. Three classes. Yeah. Hours. I told Glenn, uh, the, the lobby dude downstairs earlier today, because he was like, wait, today of all days, Victor isn't dressed up. It's Hollow Eve. What are you doing? And I was like, sir, I'm just trying to walk right now. And he was like, what? And I was like, I showed him a picture of me in the Wonder Woman costume. And yeah. he was like, how long were you on that thing? And I was like, well, the first hour was a handstand class. And the oh, next geez. two hours, I was on the Lyra. And he was like, excuse okay. me, hours? Hours? And I was like, yes. Getting it. I'm in pain. <laughs> Hold on. You hear that alcohol? Glorious. Before we get to our 1400s political memes, we are going way back in time, like almost 3,000 years ago, to roughly 700 BC Greece. That is the period in ancient Greece where things like start to get interesting. So like ancient Greece did span like 100 years before that, but collectively everyone's like, yeah, that's like their dark ages. Mm, We don't talk about those ages. Pretty much. So by 700 BC, that's when the poet Homer writes the Iliad and the Odyssey. And a little after that, that's when the Olympics start. Mm -hmm. So things that we think of as iconically Greek. And one unifying factor to all the various city-states in Greece is their shared religion. And that means dozens of deities. So many of them. Have you ever read Mythology by Edith Hamilton? I have not, no. It's a whole fucking party in there. It's, I mean, gods in general. I came across (laughs) a dictionary of gods and goddesses for some of this stuff. There's a lot. And Mm -hmm. that's, that was... Like, globally. We had to go through a mythology portion of our, like, our English class. Like, we had to Mm -hmm. read that book. And we were just, like, so fascinated with how ridiculous these deities were because we were in a Christian, a non-denominational Christian school being taught about these Greek gods. I mean, we're both raised Catholic, so we had a Catholic god and we had Christianity, but this was, like, a whole new world that we were just like, what the fuck? (laughs) You know, I remember learning about this stuff in social studies kind of early on. And even as like a 10-year-old being like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What did they do? <laughs> these were these were their gods. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah, yeah, this is what they believed. I'm like, okay. But now we call it like mythology and it's not their religion. Like suddenly they're just like not really gods anymore. Mm-hmm. What does that say about the people that we worship as gods? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. It was one of those moments where, like, I really just treated it like another, like, religion. And for me, yeah. religion and I were not. That's We exactly never were. What it was, um, yeah. So it was kind of annoying. I couldn't find specific numbers on just how many gods there are in total in the mythology. <laughs> on one account, it was 400, but I could not verify that. Yeah. So I, was like, All right, I can't speculate. It's a lot. But there's, there's a good bit. Yeah. Because... In the pantheon of gods, we've got titans, like gods, and then minor gods. And titans, those were the first head honchos, 12 in total of them. I think, like, the most well-known to us is probably Atlas, like, the dude who's holding up the world on his back. Mm-hmm. They were, like, the OGs of the Greek deities. Right. And then from there, we've got gods and goddesses that were born from the titans. Mm-hmm. 12 of those guys in total, too. You know, the super well-known ones, like Zeus and Hades and Poseidon. And from there, minor gods. So Athena, Apollo, Aphrodite, and all other gazillions of them. Yeah. And what we're focusing in on today is a titan called Themis. 
all the titans represent like core characteristics of humanity and themis she represents divine law and order and that is where our lady justice starts so themis she's the common sense of the titans you know keeping order instructing mortals on like how to govern and worship the gods and with zeus she had a daughter, Dike, and Dike took her mother's principles further, stepping from the realm of the gods and directly overseeing and convening on mortal affairs. Ooh. So where Themis was divine law and order, Dike was mortal law and order, and she didn't fuck around. Like, if you were an unjust bastard, Dike would stab you in the heart with her sword. Oh, I love her already. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she was very adamant about maintaining justice and this is where the sword iconography comes into play yes stab them all in the heart stab them stabby stab <laughs> right right in the heart i stabbed my boyfriend recently was he unjust no he had a pimple that i thought i could pop ew all right we're moving on <laughs> so ew like Mostly everything the Greeks did, the Romans <laughs> took a look around were like, hey, these are some good ideas. We're going to take them. So by the first century AD, Greek gods and Roman gods, they were, they were basically the same. By then, the Romans had adopted the concepts of Themis and Dike and rolled them into the goddess Justitia. And Justitia is, she's who Lady Justice is modeled from. So this is where the sword and the scales, you know, become paired items to her. And it's pretty cool because the scales harken back to the Egyptian goddess Miat. And Miat is goddess of truth, cosmic order, and justice. Hmm. So in the ceremony after you've passed away, leading up to whether or not you can go into the Egyptian afterlife, you're presented with having to weigh your heart. And she's the one holding scales to weigh your heart. So if it's, what if I have a very sad, depressed heart? Do I not go in? Well, it all determines how it weighs up against a feather. And if your heart is light, then you can go into the afterlife. And if not, well, too bad for you. But, like, if you're depressed, then your heart is heavy. And you could be a good person, but you never make it in. You will have to bring that up with the Egyptian gods of the afterlife. Well, I will definitely be talking to HR. I feel like that's discrimination. Talk to Anubis. Tell him what's up. So after the Roman Empire falls... You know, Christianity becomes the Western default, and Justitia morphs from a god into a allegorical figure. Right. In medieval traditions, she's depicted with other cardinal virtues, so prudence, temperance, and fortitude. Okay. And they, along with faith, hope, and charity, fought the evil seven deadly sins. <laughs> yeah, because all the good things were represented as women, but this the sins those were all men oh i like it yeah i like it a lot and then in the re renaissance justice is a super popular theme depicted in art now alongside those other personified concepts of prudence and temperance and fortitude justice is loaded with symbolism i mean that they like all are you know her scales her sword like initially i thought it was just like a way of visually communicating to the masses, you know, the illiterate public of what she represents and what she means. Right. Yeah, no, that was not the case. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's kind of it's interesting. So, queuing back to the Greeks, you know, they devised this art of memory, a, a way of loading images with symbolism in order to act as a visual memory cue as like a rhetoric device. 
Okay. It's like, I mean, going back 100 years, they like, couldn't just type up their podcast notes like we do. That's true. Yeah, so they needed techniques to be able to remember these like large chunks of text and information. So in personifying a concept like justice and pairing it with a place or objects, like that was a way of remembering large chunks of information, you know, before the advent of the printing press and widespread literacy. What? Yeah, so they kind of, you know, rich symbolism became a way of, you know, remembering content. That's insane. I thought it was fairly interesting. No, that is. I just can't imagine ever living in a world where I couldn't write something down. I know, I know. And that was one thing. There was one essay that I read that came at it from that perspective of like justice and other imagery as like memory tools. And even they opened up like it's hard for us to, you know, imagine a world where you're not able to read a newspaper every day or just, you know, have instantaneous information at your fingertips. I don't understand. Okay, keep yeah. going. <laughs> totally, totally different world. Uh, no. <laughs> my brain hurts. Throughout the centuries, Lady Justice, I mean, she's remained a really popular figure. Uh, prudence, temperance, fortitude, like they all fell off the map. But because justice was tied to an institutional framework, like that's what has kept her relevant. Ah, yeah. yeah, is that even depending on what country you're in, you can tie her to your government, to your legislative branch. Yeah. Whereas, like, like prudence, like, what are you going to do with that? I don't even really know what that means. You know, I'm, I'm taking my GRE soon, so let's talk about this. Prudence. Foresight? Planning? Mm-mm. I'm also not Christian, so these were things that I've not learned. Well, prudence is a word, not just a... I know, but in this respect, we're talking about it through the lens of these cardinal values. Okay, so it's a noun for the quality of being prudent or cautiousness. Similar words are wisdom, judgment, sagacity, which is wisdom as well, shrewdness, advisability, common sense, caution, care, wariness, circumspection. That's a new word, circumspension. Okay. Yeah, so just wisdom and judgment in general. All right, kind of all the same stuff. I mean, really, as humans, we all want to be right. Mm. We want our ideas. We want our way of life to be capital R, the right way of doing things. Mm. So having justice on your side is a really solid way to go. So, I mean, that's really fostered Lady Justice becoming the most recognized juridical political visual idolization. So throughout the centuries, she's been depicted to assert, like, that sense of righteousness in countless pieces of art okay so romans in the first century a.d like when jesus is still hanging out like at 23 a.d they feature justidia like on coins like of course there were marble statues of themis and dk one greek statue was dated of themis like going back to 300 bc that was initially located in a temple yeah they usually are uh, well you know sometimes more public spaces but i mean she was the god so that's where she was worshipped mm-hmm. going into the medieval ages Justice makes appearances in various legal treaties. I will not bore you with them. Mm. She's also depicted in public government art, which is pretty cool. So in 1340, there's a mural in Siena, Italy that features justice within like these huge public frescoes. And it's pretty cool. It's considered the artist's masterpiece. And he did all allegorical paintings of good and bad government oh. for these frescoes. Okay. Yeah, it's in like the public square. Oh, that's cool. Kind of like a, is it in the public square? Is that anywhere near the actual like courthouse or like city hall? I am not sure. I imagine they would be like something before you walk into the building. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, because within Lady Justice, she's usually always front and center as you're entering these mm-hmm. either, you know, courthouses or legal or just government buildings. And then Raphael, he depicts justice a few times, and he's the 16th century Italian painter and the red Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. He did a fresco of Justitia at the Vatican in 1508. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's it's like a ceiling piece, and then around her are these, like, little cherubs, the little, the baby angels. Oh, cherubs? Cherubs? Cherubs. Is that it? Yeah. That just sounds like a blush cherubs but also how did he paint that with just his turtle claws you gotta get creative he's just webs i know a little little stompy just i imagine he might have been really demanding to work with he just wanted pizza all the time (laughs) that's the place to want pizza though the vatican yeah rome italy oh now i want pizza and then there's a million and one sculptures of justice at countless courthouses and government buildings like across the world yeah like in in switzerland there's a really cool painted lady of justice at the top of this public fountain that was done in 1543 and that was kind of fun because it's she's actually painted like with different colors and usually they're just like bronze question is it still like it's still up from 1540 all right here's a fun story with this Oh, God. Public fountain, right? And in the center, there's a fairly tall pillar, and she's at the very top of the pillar, so maybe about 15 feet tall or so. Hundreds of years. It's up. Everything's fine. Apparently, in the 80s, not apparently, it did happen. In the 80s, someone vandalized the sculpture, pulling down the pillar and destroying the sculpture on top. What? Yeah, they didn't ever catch or charge anyone with it. They did have a few suspects in mind. Apparently, they were tied to, like, some extremist political group that was trying to make a point. And Lady Justice is, she's back up there. It was restored. It's just, it was a copy of the initial sculpture. What the fuck, dude? I know. Hundreds of years. And it's totally fine. It's not even like she, like, she doesn't embody any, like, kind of hatred or, like, I understand people pulling down Confederate statues. But, like, something as simple as justice I didn't want to go down that political rabbit hole, so I really can't expand on the what the why. Like why? Why not babies. a different statue? I'm sorry. I'm fine. So even though it's a copy, it's still it's it's really nice because it's it's multicolored, and usually don't get that in a lot of these depictions of her. And then oh, in the Brazilian Supreme Court, it features a very minimalistic abstract stone sculpture of justice, and that was done in the 1960s. So that's a fun variation because for the most part, they're all very um, universal in their style and their kind of neoclassical approach to sculpting her. And I mean, really from courts from Italy to Japan to Iran, like justice is featured prominently in courthouses and common in many of those places. Justice is blind. She's wearing a blindfold and that along with the scales and the, the swords become iconic. Why is she blind, Megan? Well, Like, for hundreds of years, like, no one was fucking with that. Like, that would have been insulting. The whole point of justice as an allegorical figure was her crystal clarity in seeing, like, what's right and what's wrong. So, like, the ability to see, like, the concept of, like, the eye of the law, like, that is written into legislation. So, like, one French legal article from 1789, the Declaration on the Rights of Human Men and of the Citizen, goes... 
the law is the expression of the general will. All the citizens, being equal in its eyes, are equally admissible to all public dignities, places, and employments according to their capacity and without distinction of their virtues and their talents. Mm. So, like, that language is written into, like, numerous texts, like, across countries, you know, the eye of the law. Right. (laughs) It's really funny. So, in the Renaissance, artists were considering how to work in extra eyes into featuring what? justice. <laughs> yeah, and, and sometimes it wasn't necessarily, like, on her, but maybe, like, in the background or on some armor. But there's this one fun exchange that was written by a poet. It's, it's a fictitious exchange of a painter considering giving justice, like, extra eyes. Like, should there be one on her forehead? Yeah, like, should there be one on her neck? I don't, you're, you're doing a pale man kind of. A pan's labyrinth situation. Yeah, I know. That did not come up in this 1515 text. But, I mean, like, her sharp eyesight, like, that's part of the creative discourse and how to best represent her. Enter the 16th century Protestant Reformation. Wait, okay, I'm sorry. Just go back to, wait, why is she blind? Can you put that in layman's terms? That's that's what we're getting to. Oh, okay. I was just like, what? All right, so... The same year that that poet is writing about that exchange of how to add more eyeballs to Lady Justice, (laughs) the German monk Martin Luther, in 1515, he nails some grievances to a door and basically gives the Catholic Church a middle finger. Good for him. Yeah, and, you know, what resulted was a ideological and a physical upheaval between Anglo-Germanic Protestants and Neo-Latin Catholics. Okay. And, like, basically, the Protestants were calling out the Catholics for being corrupt. I mean... I... Yeah. It's during this argument that the first blind justice makes an appearance in a German 1530 legal publication. Okay. That's a big deal, because up to that point, adding a blindfold was satirical. But within this context, in adding a blindfold, the Protestants, they were asserting, like, an impartiality in the pursuit of justice. Uh, ah. Yeah. So, like, instead of justice as, like, this divine overseer, like, justice becomes an act of looking within. Ah. Good, good. Yeah. And kind of, like, another way of them asserting that, like, we're not corrupt like the Catholic Church. We're not corrupt Mm. like the Pope. Like, the blindfold representing, like, independence and incorruptibility, like, it really took off after that. And that that change was due to the Protestant Reformation, that first 1530 publication. Okay. And that just went from there. Yeah, I know. It, it took off. Like, it spread out of, like, Northern Europe, like, down into Italy, and then it definitely just spread out. Now, not all modern images of justice feature a blindfold. Like, in London, atop of their central criminal court, like, she's fucking seeing what you're up to. Mm. And this, it's the same thing in the Singapore Capitol Courthouse. Wait, is that like so, she has, like, a binocular in front of her and she's, like, scrutinizing you as you're walking in? Like, what do you mean she's fucking seeing you? That would be really funny. No, she has no <laughs> blindfold. Um, she's actually standing rigidly upright with her arms outstretched, uh, sword in one hand scales in the other and she's just eyes completely open looking down on everyone Ooh, don't want to fuck with her yeah and i realized i didn't mention earlier that justice and everyone representing her it's always like a slim white woman i mean yeah yeah she's probably like super mad like where the fuck are my curves 
Well, part of it was that her maiden form, her being young, was supposed to speak to her, like, innocence. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of kind of gender baggage. I don't know too. if you've been around teenage girls. Like an evil. <laughs> <laughs> what innocence? What are we talking about? <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. So there's there's that. Common here in the states is the sentiment that justice is blind, and uh, yeah, no, that that should not be the case. No, like. Uh, yeah, no, on our part, it's, I see it as morally self-serving. Like, as much as we want to believe that all men are created equal in this country, um, no, not the case. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Uh. I mean, okay, fucking get this. So, the Cheeto signed a executive order late this September banning federal government and contractors from holding certain racial and gender diversity training. What? I yeah, missed that. Yeah. You, didn't, you didn't hear about that? So no. Claiming that any diversity training that acknowledged white privilege or the fact that this country was founded on racism is, quote, un-American propaganda. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Like, how the fuck are we supposed to have a more inclusive and equitable society when we can't even discuss these realities? I fucking can't. Yeah. I can't. Like, it's that shit that Our Lady Justice needs to see. What? Okay, so let me, I actually, I've been like binging Bailey Sarian's YouTube channel with Murder Mystery Makeup Mondays. Okay. Okay. You've seen that, right? I've seen a clip of the one you sent me. Yeah. Okay, because I am obsessed. Obsessed. Right. But like, okay, for those of you who don't know who she is, she literally just like does her makeup on Mondays and talks about like murder mysteries and shit. Or, like, just true crime in general. And uh, four months ago, she did one on the Tulsa Massacre. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that existed. Most people don't. Because nobody fucking talked about it. That it's, that's just subject matter that doesn't come up in a lot of public school education. And it'd be like, hey, can we, let's just tell you guys about that one time that a whole bunch of white people just decimated Black Wall Street. And it, yeah, an entire oh. fucking, yeah. Whole community. Whole community. Just because that they were successful in their own rights and that was pissing people off. Yeah, well, okay. So when Trump, fucking Cheeto, was finally resuming mm-hmm. his rallies after putting them on hiatus for COVID, mm-hmm. he was going to have his first political rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, <sighs> on... on Juneteenth. Oh, no. Yeah. No. And everyone collectively went, um, the fuck you will. And so they're like, okay, okay, we'll do it the day after. What is wrong with people? And like, I, I only learned about the holiday of Juneteenth like a few years ago. Yeah, I didn't know. I literally did not know about the massacre until last night. Like I knew, like I knew something bad went down in Tulsa, but I didn't understand the gravity. And of course there's always gravity in like people dying. Like I'm not an idiot about that, but like, like how expansive the destruction was. How selective we are telling history from a white narration. Yeah. 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 Like and that's fuck that part noise. of what we need to acknowledge. And I think that's part of why Lady Justice in this in this country needs to not wear a blindfold because we put our heads down in the sand about a lot of racial inequalities going on. And that does not make things better. That's not how we such a mess. Improve a situation. And, I mean, political cartoons, like, they are ripe in pointing out this hypocrisy, like, specific to these things. Right. And 
even going back to 1494, like, people were kind of calling out similar shit in terms of justice. There's a fairly well-known satirical publication from this time called Ship of Fools. Ship of Fools? Yeah, Ship of Fools. Ship of Fools. Okay. And the author, using the perspective of a fool, you know, like the fool's court position as a way to call BS on the king. Right. Use that as a vessel to call BS on society. And what really made the book popular were these woodcut illustrations done by Albrecht Durer, who's considered the greatest German Renaissance artist. That's a big title. It, it is. He was a writer, a painter, an illustrator, a printmaker, and his woodcut illustrations, they're, they're really beautiful. And he illustrated this book. And there's one in particular of a fool tying a blindfold around justice. Oh, no! Yeah, so you have this fool, like the symbol of ignorance, like actively preventing justice from doing her job. And we have the same shit today. Uh. Yeah, I mean, just as relevant as it was in the 1400s version of that political meme. Oh my We've god. We've got it today. So, I think we should go back to justice being able to see, but that is just my opinion. And, I mean, in the grand scheme of things to change in America, we have more pressing concerns. Mm. But I, I also have some other justice god suggestions from around the world. Do it. Which, I just want to say, if you go to Google, like, different cultural manifestations of justice you just get lady justice over and over and over again but so what i do have i found you'll like this one so in siberia there's the sun god yeoje in charge of justice and mortality and it's said that the rainbow is his tongue oh fun in ancient mesopotamia there's samas sun god as well god of justice who oversaw treaties and would communicate to mortals through sacrificial sheep livers um wait 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 yeah okay mike okay so i recently <laughs> I recently just uh, rewatched the first two Halloween Town movies because the last two are shit. Don't judge me. I haven't me. seen them. I can't comment on this. I mean, they're not—they're not like profound movies at all. But it's Halloween and Halloween, and I have been binging on all of the Disney movies. But Hallow- Halloween Town is like one of my favorites. Uh, second only to Hocus Pocus as far as Halloween favorites are concerned. And the second one in particular, they're, um, they have these walkie-talkies that are like little like shriveled voodoo heads. Okay. That they talk through between dimensions. And in my head, I have like the god has one sheep liver in one hand and then the people have another sheep liver in another hand, and they're just talking into the sheep liver and then putting the sheep liver to their, like, ears. Imagine it's sticking, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, that's where my mind went. <laughs> no. No, in reality, it was more like the king has a question. His advisors would write the question on the sheep's liver, and then afterwards... They would essentially take apart the sheep's liver looking for answers. Uh, It's messy. What? 
Yeah, I don't think we can pull it off today. I'm so confused. Livers are made of the same kind of muscle all around. How are they going to find differentiation between... Okay, I'm done. I'm done. Well, if you ever time travel back to ancient Mesopotamia, I'm you done. can hit them up. <laughs> and ask. <laughs> you can start a whole page of like... Time traveling questions that my favorite feminist has. <laughs> this will be one of them. Same thing about the bear trainers. Back in fifth or sixth century Constantinople. Oh my god. Byzantine Empire. What the hell were you guys up to? That's a story for a different episode. Oh, magical. Magical history. Okay, so, keep going. Well, the last one I've got is from West Africa, where the Mosey people have Tanga, goddess of the earth, goddess of justice, who, get this, has authority to rule on account of the dead buried within her. Buried within her? Because she's the goddess of earth, like of a the earth. earth. Oh, oh. Yeah. I think that's metal, and I think she qualifies oh. the most out of anyone. To be handled. Oh man. Yes. Some heavy shit. I love it. That is real. That's like, oh, he did what to you and they're trying to cover that up? Fuck that noise. Yeah. Oh. Talk to my secretary. Make sure he gets your name and number. We'll take care of this. Yeah. We'll be able to get back to you in about four to six weeks. I've got a bit of a backlog. (laughs) But she does it and she does it right. She gets her yeah. So she gets her shit done. So maybe we need a version like Tanga, who has a rainbow for a tongue, and then instead of communicating via sheep livers, maybe Twitter. Twitter's fine. Give her a Twitter account. I think she'd be great. They have that kind of power. They can make a fucking, like, cell phone work for them. It's fine. Yeah, she's good. Twitter account. 5G. She'll have that little, like, check mark next to her name. Oh, she is verified so hard. (laughs) So, that is Lady Justice. (laughs) Between the election and everything right now going on in the United States. I I thought right now would be a fun time just to kind of examine her as a figure and learn a little bit more about her and just how justice should not be blind. It really shouldn't, but that's my opinion. Take that blindfold off. So, as always, if you guys have made it this far, we really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. You you really are. Milana, if people want to go see images of the things that we've talked about, maybe see images of that woodcut that I mentioned, or pictures of the most beautiful woman in the world. Ugh, gorgeous. Uh, We have a website, myfavoritefeminist.com. We have an email, info at myfavoritefeminist. We have a Facebook and an Instagram, also under My Favorite Feminist. The Twitter is at Milena Megan. That's at M-I-L-E-N-A-M-E-G-A-N. You can listen to us wherever you want to hear podcasts. And please, it takes two seconds to like, subscribe, share with your friends, let them know about these women and about us. I guess yeah, about us, just about general women you've never heard of. And in the comment section below, please let us know. What do you think justice should look like or be represented with? Oh, I think it was a really big stick to smack people with. Be like, <laughs> no. 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 Like a Roll newspaper. newspaper and a squirt bottle. <laughs> no. Bad. No. Bad. Bad. Whack. Unembezzle all that money now. Whack. Uh, yeah. I'm done. That's what I was thinking of, too. <laughs> 
we're good then. I'm glad we're on the same page. <laughs> we're on the same page. I just wanted to kind of be like maybe someone's granny. <gasps> oh, un chakla. A whole army of grannies. Latin grandmas with the chaclas. They're throwing them at you. They never miss. I Is it the slipper like, or is it a flip-flop or is it just whatever they have in their hand? A slipper or a flip-flop, really, whatever. They do. It's mostly a slipper. It's most of the time it's a little like it's the fuzzy slipper, the house shoe. I channel my grandmother actually really well. My aim with things at my children, just, and I won't throw it at them. I'll make sure I throw it to next to them. <laughs> Just to get their attention. Scare my animals. Yeah, be like, well, one of them can't hear me say no, and if he's not looking at me and he's doing something stupid and I can't get to him immediately, I'll like throw something next to him so he gets my like, oh, what's what's happening? And I go no, and he's like, oh, okay. And even with the cats, like I'll be like, what are you doing? But sometimes they don't listen to me, so I'll throw something next to them. I never hit them, and that is on purpose. It's always like a, it's like a Latin like scare tactic. So it works. It works. Because right. they're like, Ugh. well, I'm good with that being a potential new embodiment of justice. Let's raise an army and march to Washington because <laughs> there's there's a what's, lot. What's more American than a bunch of grandmothers who are disappointed in you? Well, now I gotta call my granny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell her I love her and I miss her. Well, I will. Sweet bitch about upcoming election. But at this point, it's already happened. So, who will live? Who will die? Tune in next time on. I'm just thinking of that claymation show. Oh, from MTV with the celebrity throwdown? Yeah. Deathmatch or something like that. I have something. I don't know. Anyway. All right. Well, on that note, as always, we super appreciate you guys. You guys are really awesome. So, until next time, we'll see you then. Bye. little gremlin demons <gasps> they are the Ugh. sweetest things you know that you've totally met a few sphinxes you know that they're the sweetest cats they really Sorry, are the you say cats. sphinxes and i just imagine a sphinxster and <laughs> no, a, a sphinxster a sphincter a sphinxster a sphinxster I, I broke that word too <laughs> just don't me and s words today let's just not do that please and thank you <laughs>